Please listen carefully. And now, live from the Arboretum in McKinney, Texas, it's the Assuming Positions Podcast, featuring two droids that someone's probably looking for, Kevin and Mikey. Everybody, welcome to the Assuming Positions podcast. Kevin over here and Mikey over here. And today we are continuing our series Head of the Helm. Do all aboard. Head of the Helm. So, so far we have picked our ships, we yes. have picked our pilots. Yes. We our have trusty flyers. Picked our engineers and we have picked our security officers. Yep, our police and military force. So, go back to those four episodes to hear what we picked. <laughs> But a basic rundown is um, I'm flying in the Normandy SR-1. Mikey has the Star Trek Voyager. Yes. And we have various pilots, and I have an all-female crew at this point. Yep. Uh, So go back and listen to that. (laughs) Check out my crew of misfits. So today we are choosing chief medical officers, doctors. Yeah, if we're going out into the unknown, we're probably going to have some accidents, so we need somebody to apply bandages and, and TLC. Mm, sci-fi doctors or something that's very common. Again, we're just kind of spoiled for choices. Yep. So, Mikey, who did you pick for your number three choice of N- number sci-fi three doctor? choice started off with me. I like it. I went sort of a Mikey default on this one for my number three choice. I went animated, as I want to do in these build-a-fantasy team. So my third pick is going to be Dr. Joshua Strongbear Sweet. Dr. Sweet, voiced by Phil Morris, and he's from the movie Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Oh, what? That Disney movie? The Disney movie. The the post-Renaissance excellent, excellent Disney movie. Here's a real, just a random trivia about that movie. That's Disney's Mm -hmm. first sci-fi movie. Ever, out of all their animated movies, that's their first sci-fi one. Out of all their animated movies, it's their first. Uh, let me think. I can't. Yeah, they do medieval fantasy. Pretty much is all they do. Yep. But that was the first one, and that was the forty-first one in the catalog. So it took them forty movies to make a sci-fi animated movie. Come on, Disney. Future's wow. cooler. Than well, that. you know, Tomorrowland always was the worst land. <laughs> <laughs> Blasphemy. Me and George Clooney are mad. Oh, I don't mean the movie. Oh, I know. I mean, You're talking the, about the world. I mean, the world. Yeah. That's why they changed it to like Toy Story Land. That's true. And now I think Star Wars Land took it over. There you Maybe. Go. Better, I don't know. Better sci fi. Disneyland and Disney World confuse me because they're the same but different. <laughs> I like it. But Atlantis, yes. Disney's first sci fi animated movie. And Dr. Josh Sweet is the big black doctor that's part of the crew that goes on to find Atlantis. He is the epitome of sort of. Happy-go-lucky, very positive, can, has the power to fix anything, Doctor. He's like if you took Michael Clark Duncan and gave him the attitude of Craig Robinson, you'd have Doctor Sweet. Hmm. He's also, because Atlantis takes place during an older time period, he actually has a pretty interesting backstory. Doctor Sweet got some of his military training as a battle surgeon for the Rough Riders, who served under Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt yeah. yeah, He was actually a member, he would, took part in the Battle of San Juan Hill. <laughs> But he's a world-traveled doctor. I don't know why he has such an extensive backstory for being an animated character. Because Disney. He, uh, he learned uh, Native American, Arapaho, and Cheyenne medicine from his uncle, Iron Cloud. That's why he has the middle name Sweet Bear, because he's part Native American. Oh, I just thought he was like a cuddly sweet person. That, that too. Uh, he traveled to India to study uh, Ayurvedic medicine. 
He traveled to the Ivory Coast to study tropical medicine. Mm-hmm. And then he traveled to Tulsa, Oklahoma to study large animal veterinary medicine at Baxter <laughs> University. Okay. So he has like, he's a botanist. He's a, a doctor of internal medicine, an herbologist. He's, he's well-rounded and he's just happy and charismatic to boot. He's, if, they're, if you're going to uncharted worlds, like we said, he went to Atlantis, which is, nobody knows about. It's only a rumor, but he finds it and he helps make sure that everybody survives. So I call that a successful doctor. It is. He seems like a big dude that'll protect me on my, my ship go, of misfits going out into the wild. And so he's my third pick, Dr. Joshua Sweet. It's a good pick. It's an, inter- it's an interesting movie, too. It is for Disney. It's one of those Disney movies that I think think that in my brain i think is actually not a disney movie i think it's one of like the dreamworks ones or one of the don bluth movies yep because it seems like that type of because like you said disney always does fantasy stuff basically and and there was a weird sort of burst of those at the time because you have like treasure planet and titan ae all came out around that time they were trying to cash in on the same theme i think but yeah that's my third pick so your turn give it to me (laughs) my third pick is from one of my favorite Series of movies ever. Drum roll. I picked 2-1-B, The Medical Droid. <laughs> Uh-oh, Medical Droid. That sounds like a Star Wars thing. It is. 2-1-B is the medical droid who kind of looks like um, a skeleton talking on uh, an old-timey microphone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the guy who appears. He helps Luke Skywalker twice. So okay. when Luke Skywalker gets attacked by the Wampa yes. on Hoth, uh-huh. and he has to be put into the Bacta tank, Oh, that's right. Very famous thing. Yep. 2-1-B is running the Bacta tank. And then he is the exact same droid, according to canon, the exact same droid is the droid that puts his new hand on, his robot hand. Oh, that's cool. So do you remember he's sitting there and he's like poking it and he's like... Yeah, oh yeah, the fingers him. are twitching. Yeah, yeah. and the, the, the droid is sitting there and he's the one poking him. It's alive. It's that's awesome. 2-1-B. So if 2-1-B is good enough for Luke Skywalker... It's good enough for anybody's ship, right? Yep, that's pretty good logic. So it's interesting, and I love Star Wars, and I know a lot about it, and I had a 2-1-B action figure. It was one of the action figures that I had. Oh, cool. I didn't even know they made a figure of them. I enjoyed Ah, They make a figure of everything. (laughs) Oh, When I was a kid, I mean, I had it. I don't have one currently. I I should probably get a new one, (laughs) but I had the 2-1-B when I was a kid. And the interesting thing is I was researching this for the podcast and you know it's kind of there's the canon and then there's the legends that used to be canon but it's not anymore yes and i think that they got really confused when they're doing the 2-1-b part because i'm really confused okay because generally let's see if we can suss it out the way that these droids work is their name is usually like their model and then like their unit so, like, R2-D2 is an R2 unit. Yes. Technically, his name is D2. Yeah, that's that's his specific name. Yeah. Gotcha. And C-3PO is, I think they're 3PO units, and he's a... It's, a C-class 3PO yeah, it's, droid? It's yeah. crazy. Anyway, it's all, it's all mixed <laughs> up. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense. But 2-1-B, you would think it's, like, so is he, like, 2 of a 1-B medical droid? Or is he a B-class of a 2-1 droid? Right. And the legends, it seems like 2-1-B is specifically this one droid that helped Luke Skywalker out. Oh, okay. But if you look in the canon stuff, it's 2-1-B is the series of droids, and then it goes on to tell you about these other droids who are 2-1-B droids, but it never tells you... Their specific unit name? Of the one from the movie, I it gotcha. keeps calling that one 2-1-B. So it's like, is he the first one? He, yeah, he's the original. He's 2-1-B um, uh, alpha. <laughs> right, yeah. it's it's... It's wonky. Yeah. It's wonky and confusing. 
and I'm confused, but apparently he's been around since the Republic existed when there was Jedi's running around. This is an old droid. Yeah, he's been around. And he's mostly dealt with humans, so he's programmed for him. What's interesting, too, when I was reading that is droids, they talk about a lot, and they kind of brought into the new stuff, too, like on Solo, the droid revolution and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. How droids are treated second class. A lot of people are, they're kind of retconning that that's from the Clone Wars and how the droids were enemies. Okay. The droid army. Yeah. They're just machines. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah, and then they wipe them so they forget things. And then that's the whole thing about R2 is that he was never wiped, so he knows what was happening the whole time. <laughs> that's why that's why he keeps beeping constantly. There is a, a section of fandom that thinks that's all just swears and like <laughs> vulgarity and nobody can really understand them. That would make sense. So, But what's interesting is it seems like these medical droids don't get wiped so they retain their knowledge and experience. Oh, that's good. And working on things. Especially for doctors, yeah. So that's very interesting to me because mm-hmm. it's like, it adds this layer of what's going on here with the medical droids. And and the mysterious plot of not knowing if it's specifically that 2-1-B. There's one 2-1-B out there that you're picking that knows more than the rest of them. I know, right? Yeah. So anyway, like I said, good enough for Jedi Master Luke Skywalker, good enough for anybody's ship, as long as we can get a back to tank in the deal. I dig it, yeah. Yeah, he's got to come with his supplies. Because you got to float in your underwear. Like, I think he came, well, I can't remember. The, no, I think the droid I bought came by himself, but I know there's sets where he comes with a little back to tank with the little Luke that can... Oh, that's fun. Luke in his underwear. <laughs> a nice perk for an action figure, Luke in his underwear. So that's my number three. Maybe it would have been higher if I wasn't so confused on like what exactly is going on with canon and legends and stuff. Gotcha. <laughs> I gotcha. It makes sense. But that's cool because it, it also proves that a droid knows how to fix humans as well as fix robots and combine them. So mm-hmm. that leads to some Island of Dr. Moreau type stuff. That's pretty <laughs> rare. But that is an excellent third pick. Speaking of machines as doctors, we're actually leading nicely into my Ooh. second pick. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, I'm going to pull a Kevin and say that my second pick and my first pick could flip-flop depending on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is second place today because our nerd rules and regulations that we laid out before us is that mm-hmm. if you take a property from, or take a you know person from one property, you can't repeat properties. Mm-hmm. So because I'm flying the USS Voyager as my ship, I cannot, for my first doctor, take the EMH medical doctor from Voyager. So he is my second pick. Oh, he's that's the emergency backup doctor? It is. The emergency medical hologram, EMH. Hmm. Now, interesting. I would argue that since that is part of Voyager's equipment, that he is there, but you still have to pick a doctor I do. because there's supposed to be a chief medical officer there. Yes. And he's only there. What happened? Did he die? Or he, the, uh, she or whatever? No, the, they, they, he died. I the, mean, the, the actual yeah, doctor. Yeah, the crew doctor, the medical officer for the Voyager crew uh-huh. died when they went to the Delta Quadrant. Okay. So the only doctor they had was for the their journey doctor. was the emergency. Yeah, because I think he was. So he's there. So let's talk about him because he is there if yep. he needs to pop out yep. because that would be like taking your fire extinguishers <laughs> away. I mean, he's part of the equipment. That is true. But to abide by rules and regulations, I did put him in second And place. he gets, throughout the series, he gets fleshed out more than just an emergency backup doctor. Very true. Because yeah. he's the he's the data of this one, right? Yes. he is. It's very human. interesting how they have these archetypes that their own... Ar- it's interesting because it's their own archetypes. Yes. It's like Star Trek's own archetypes. Yes. And he's definitely the data where he starts off as machine yep. and then learns to be... Learns what it is to be human. Yes. So, and that, and yeah. that's a, that is a Star Trek thing. That's what I'm coming to find is a Star Trek thing that I love because it shows up so much. It mm-hmm. is very much looking at humanity from pr- perspectives outside of humanity. Mm-hmm. 
But you're right. When the EMH first shows up, he's like, please state the nature of your medical exactly. emergency. You know, he has no bedside manner. He's just a computer that knows with the, the cool part is he knows <laughs> all of medical history. He's like he's like WebMD. He is. Every time you talk to him, you think you have cancer. <laughs> yeah, it's like, report to sickbay. It's like, what do you have? Cancer. <laughs> report to sickbay. What do you have? Cancer. So, yeah, that's how it would be because he really is like the internet in doctor form because he has these databanks of all medicine up until star date 25, whatever, you mm-hmm. know, Voyager. But that is the thing. He does develop as a person. He never really gets a full name. He's always referred to as the doctor. They give him a final name in the season finale. So spoiler alert for that. I won't Mm. give it away. It's a real dumb name. But Himmy. (laughs) Close. (laughs) Keep going on your default names and you'll hit it. It's pretty hilarious. But um, so he's an unnamed character for most of it. He's just the doctor and he fills that role. But he progresses. He learns how to interact with humans to the point where he becomes the liaison for other aliens that come on board. He's sort of their ambassador to help assimilate them into the crew, to use a Borg term, because <laughs> he, he he progresses so much. Like Seven of Nine becomes a Borg, you know, is part Borg, and she comes on the ship, and she's slowly learning to what it is to be human. And the only reason she's as successful as she is is because of the Doctor's help, not only in just repairing her mechanics and biosensors and all that but also you know getting her out there and telling her to go to parties and getting a hollow deck to practice you know social skills um he's a big fan of classical music he's super smart very charismatic in that the the, like old white guy doctor way is like i'm gonna tell you what you need to know and this is how it's gonna go and i know best the limitations on the hologram doctor i think you brought this up to me and i do think it's pretty funny because star trek deals with holograms in a unique way Mm because Your favorite concept that you like to point out is if you can have a holographic crew member, mm-hmm. why not just make the whole crew holograms and send them out into space? Yep. Problem solved. No loss of life. No loss of life. But they show they show that he has failings. For the most part, in the start of the series, he's only confined like he can only show up in the medical bay. Mm-hmm. Um and then he progresses by getting a mobile transmitter that allows him to project himself throughout the ship. Mm-hmm. Which they sold from Red Dwarf. Yep. So <laughs> perhaps to Red Dwarf for that cool narrative device, we got to see the Doctor more because of that. But in in the end, you do learn that he has all these limitations based on technology then. And we know that even though technology is convenient and powerful, it's not always fail-proof. Another interesting episode with the Doctor is he gets kidnapped by other rogue holograms that are on their own ship. Oh, really? There yeah. is a ship of holograms? There is a ship of holograms. Oh. That's the fun part. And here's the I never saw that one. Yeah, and here's the catch. They kidnap him to go, why are you living with organics? Holograms are supreme. Join us and we'll, we, we will eradicate them. Oh. And so he actually, but they make They're such like a convincing evil. argument that he has almost a crisis of conscience. And he's like, do I do this? You know, because what they're saying is true. But in the end, he sees the, the benefit and power of humanity and comes back to home team showing his loyalty and faith and persistence in his, in his crew and in his duties. So props to the medical doctor. You're there when they need you, and you've been noble ever since, and so I pick you for my second doctor. Uh-huh. You'd be my first doctor, but rules is rules. Rules is rules. <laughs> and he's still there, technically. Yes. Um, and played by Robert Picardo, yes. great character actor, has well over 200 credits on IMDb. Yep, he keep, he's, he's one, one of those, those faces, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he's one of those faces, thing. yep. He, he I know that up. guy. Yeah, it's like, oh, that smile. I know that, yep. Yeah, great. Robert Picardo, I forgot your name, but yes, you are, you are my doctor number two. Great actor. All right, my doctor number two. Number two. is This was a flip-floppy, too, again, for me. And the, but this is also from Star Trek. <laughs> from the one Star Trek show I watched, pretty much all of them. Uh oh. The Next Generation. Yes. I am picking one of the great doctors, 
in all of Star Trek land. Mm -hmm. Dr. Beverly Crusher. Yeah. Played so well by Gates McFadden and the chief medical officer of the USS Enterprise. Dun, dun, dun. So Dr. Beverly Crusher was just this empathetic stalwart. She's the epitome of... So there's this, there's this um, research that was done. Okay. That female doctors are actually better than male doctors as far as because they're so empathetic yes. in their their bedside manner. Gotcha. Not, I'm not saying they're wholesale better, but yeah. there's depending on what kind of doctor you're looking for. They're better at that emotional component to it. Exactly. And she's like the epitome of that. Oh, for sure. As whereas Dr. McCoy from the original series mm -hmm. was more nuts and bolts. Yep. You know, and damn it, Jim. <laughs> you know. <laughs> She was more like, I'll see what I can do. She would never have said, damn it, Jim. Yep. She would be like, I see what I can do. Yep. So some neat stuff. Of, there's, so, there's so many episodes. There's so much story. Just go watch Next Generation. <laughs> but I picked out a few fun points and why she's a brilliant doctor. So first of all, did you know she's from the moon? I thought she was an earthling. She's a moonling? She's a moonling. Okay. So apparently there's a place called Copernicus City on the moon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where she's from. And did you know that how her husband died? Uh, they keep mentioning it, and she's so, always tossed up by it. Right. So she's on the ship with her son, Wesley Crusher. Yes. Played by Woween, one of the kings of the nerds. Nerd king, indeed. <laughs> and her husband isn't there because he's dead. Yes. And I, I didn't even know this until I was doing some research. He died under Picard's command. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, oh, see, you yes. remember Okay, now. yeah, yeah. Like, it was an away mission, yep. and he was there, yep. and for some dumb reason, he put a red shirt on or something. <laughs> <laughs> we learned about that last time. Yeah, don't wear your red shirt on an away mission. <laughs> and he got killed, and that created some, early, in the early season, it's a little bit of tension. Picard was a little bit like, Ugh. Yeah, he couldn't face her without feeling the guilt of yeah. his, his failure of command. Yeah. And then his son's there, too. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it's the ghost of your past coming to haunt you and work with you. How do you feel about that, Picard? I know. So what, can, what, what can't she do? I don't know, but what can't she do? Let's go through some of her greatest hits. Positive, yes. She can pretty much cure... Any disease that uh, any time one of those diseases came on the ship, the plague, <laughs> to, you know, make people act crazy. Yep. She always figured it out. Yep. Always. And and not just she'd create antidotes. She'd do the research and she'd create things. It yep. wasn't just wholesale. Oh, this will work. Yep. She was creating stuff. Running trials and doing tests. Yep. Do you remember Lore? Data's brother? I do. Evil Data. Data Evil with Data the goatee. With yeah. the twitch. <laughs> she did you know she 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 rebuilt him? Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that part. Yeah, there's. She totally rebuilt him. Okay. Therefore, allowing her to help Data even more because she learned the whole anatomy of Data by rebuilding lore. Yep. So not only she's a medical doctor, she can do research, create antidotes. She can also work on androids. Work on robots. She's part mechanic. Right. <laughs> She's also a fully certified bridge officer. Do you remember some of the episodes where everyone was gone and she was actually in command of the ship? Yep. Everybody, yeah, either was indisposed or on an away mission, and so she was on the bridge. That's I do pretty, remember that. That's pretty rad. <laughs> and she's also a playwright, an actor, a dancer. <laughs> you remember all the, those things? I do those remember, yeah, that's what, what she was doing in the holodeck. Yeah. the Man, holodecks were fun. I, I would love to have a holodeck. I'm lucky to have one on my ship. I What's know. up, Voyager? <laughs> oh, yeah. You do have a holodeck on your ship. Yep. And the, the biggest, greatest hit was, what did she do? She figured out the entire Borg, the Borg thing. 
Yes. That whole our series arc where Picard gets turned into a Borg and this that was man, that was You a, think it's the end because Picard is the one that gets assimilated. Right. And it's that was a great series. Yes. Of is that what you call the series within a series? What do you call a series Sto- of, story arc? Story arc. Bingo. Yes. Thank you, Mikey. That was a that was a really good story arc. I mean, I that's probably to me one of the best story arcs in all of Star Trek. Agreed. And it's her and Data that figure out the plan to get Picard out and yeah. get Picard unassimilated. Unassimilated. Which is apparently it never happened before. Never. And she's the one who figured it out. That that is pretty cool. I forgot that she was the key to that, but yeah. that, that that's a point in her favor. So like I said, Beverly Crusher, you could have easily been my first, but I'll explain why when I do my first, why I kind of flip-flopped on this. Gotcha. So but the first one is better, not because Beverly Crusher has some failing, it's just the no. first one has more awesome. She could have easily been the first. Well-deserved to be the first. I just wanted to go a little bit more colorful. Gotcha. <laughs> well, well, uh, Wesley Crutcher thanks you, and we won't. He won't beat you up for dis- disparaging his mom. Last thing too is is if I take her, it's like you separate from Wes. So what do you take older her? So Wesley's already off. True. In a way, which or do you take younger her before he was born? But then her husband. Uh, he is he is a pretty smart whiz kid. So maybe it's a two for deal. You get her in the early stages, and you get a bonus Wesley Crusher, <laughs> who helps you build science experiments. It's gonna be awesome. And play board games. Wait, no, that's real life. Will Wheaton, sir. <laughs> but Beverly Crusher is an awesome second pick. But if that's our second picks, you know what time it is now. That means it's time for first, first picks. picks. It's very convenient that that follows second picks. <laughs> so who is Mikey's medical officer going to be on the Voyager? Mikey's who needed to be replaced anyway because he died. So. Yes. So we, we have an opening, and I'm going to branch out and go real rogue and pick star trek again surprising (laughs) but you mentioned his name earlier we'll mention it again this time i'm picking dr leonard bones mccoy with the twist i'm going carl urban variant oh gj abrams version no no slander to uh deforest kelly who Mm. played the who was the actor who played bones in the original Mm -hmm. he he's the one that defined the role and set up what the shoes that carl urban would step into but Carl Urban, like I said, when I was talking about him in Dread, is such a nerd's nerd. He seems to be in all of these properties. Yeah. He's like a Sam Rockwell. He's one of those, like, he can chameleon into anything. And Mm -hmm. so because he's so good, people keep using him. So I'm going to take that cue from real-life Carl Urban and apply it to Bones because Bones in the new Star Trek, they call it the alternate reality now. I just learned this the other day. Mm -hmm. I didn't know there was an actual official shift in, like, Star Trek timeline that accounts for the show and then another timeline that accounts for a movie. It's kind of like what they're doing with Marvel and Star Wars. Right. But Star Wars did it different. Yes. Star Trek did it in a way that makes sense for Star Trek. Because Star Trek's always had that kind of wonkiness. Prime timeline and alternate Mm -hmm. timelines, yep. And deviance from that. So. Carl Urban's Bones McCoy is technically a very like a branch off the main timeline. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm picking him. Um, he was in the first Star Trek, Star Trek Into Darkness, and Star Trek Beyond. But he has a lot of the same setup as the original. So if you like the original, you're sort of on board with with Carl Urban's version. He's a he's a Georgia boy. You'll be happy to know <laughs> from from the Earth state of Georgia. Um, he's actually a technophobe and an aviophobe. He's afraid of flying and afraid of like modern technology or just hesitant and wary of it, doesn't trust it because he he sort of holds on to his human stubbornness, his humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is Captain Kirk's best friend. 
he butts heads with Spock all the time, and that mm-hmm. dynamic is... We, we sort of got into it with a little bit with talking about Star Trek, how they have a perspective that's outside of humanity observing humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, usually there's some interaction between the characters on Star Trek about a choice that they have to make, and you get the logical side of it. Like, every time Spock argues, it's, you know, he's, he's arguing for logic. Yeah. Captain Kirk is usually arguing for what's right, yeah. you know, because mm-hmm. he's the captain, so he has to consider what, what the ramifications are. Mm-hmm. And then Bones is usually the other angel on his shoulder that's just arguing for what's good, even if it's not necessarily right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's the skeptic to Spock's logic. He doesn't really trust Spock. You know, he, they, they butt mm-hmm. heads a lot. He's like, ah, you, you pointy-eared weirdo. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do, you know. <laughs> Damn it, Jim, I'm a, I'm a human, not a Vulcan. Oh, and then that just, I have to spit this out there. Carl Urban's best line in the new Star Trek movies is he confronts Spock and he goes, are you out of your Vulcan mind? <laughs> and that's just, it's so clever. Sorry. That's, that's a Mikey joke to the extreme. So. <laughs> I'm, I look forward to Carl Urban running around my ship going, are you out of your Vulcan mind? Even though there's no Vulcans on board. Yet. Yet. There might be some Vulcans. Spoilers. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, his name is Bones because, uh, well, the original Star Trek, they called him Bones because it was short for Sawbones, which was the old army army term for surgeons. Mm-hmm. And that that's his bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of funny in the new one, he still gets the nickname Bones, but they actually said it's because he's divorced. He said, my wife left me, took the entire planet and left me nothing but my bones. And mm-hmm. so Kirk's like, hmm, okay, Bones. And so that's how they, he becomes Dr. Bones on the new Star Trek. Wow. That's a... I don't know why you had to do that. The yeah. sawbones thing was fine. Yep. Is it that we're too far away? <laughs> Is it? I guess because it was in the '60s when the first one came out. It was only like a hundred years away from when pe- surgeons were doing that. Probably. Yeah. And now we're way further away, and people are like, "Hey, sawbones." That sounds like a weird Earthling archaic word. <laughs> what does that translate to? Yeah. But he is—he is the gruff medical practitioner. He will give you the antidote you need, whether you want it or not. He'll just inject you straight in the neck. He'll lay you down. <laughs> he'll splint you up. He's like, I know what's best for you. You're going to do it. And damn it, Jim, don't tell me what to do because I'm a surgeon, not a psychiatrist. So, mm-hmm. My God, man. Damn it, Jim. All those. I, yeah. I want somebody that's cantankerous and grumpy. <laughs> but still, like, perseveres in the face of challenge because uh, in the new Star Trek movies, there's a, uh, a point where they have to, like, activate bombs, and it has to be done specifically, like, with surgical precision. Mm-hmm. And Spock tells Bones to do it, and it's a sign that shows that Spock trusts Bones' capability so well that even though they don't really get along, he knows he's the best man for the job, mm-hmm. and that's Bones to a T. He may be gruff, he may be, you know, have a rough exterior, but you want him on your team because you know he is the best man for the job. Mm-hmm. So, I'm hiring him for my job. Awesome. That's a good character in both of the, those properties. Oh, very true. And well done by both of them. Yes. I, I could have picked either one. I just, uh, Carl Urban is charismatic to me. I want to <laughs> hang out with him and buy him a beer. So that, that's a great first pick. So my first pick, I said I wanted to go more colorful. Yep. And I wanted to, I wanted to put an alien on the ship. Yay. So I picked uh, from one of my favorite properties, and this is, and I want to give a little love to something that's a little bit, people don't like it as much. But from Mass Effect Andromeda, Ooh. the latest Mass Effect, I picked Dr. Lexi Tapero. Nice. Who's an Asari doctor on the <laughs> Pathfinder ship. Yes. So uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, see, my ship is from the original Mass Effect. Mass yep. Effect Andromeda happens 600 years in the future. Is it another version of the Normandy or is this? No, just, okay. it's its own ship. Gotcha. It's its own thing. Gotcha. It has nothing to do with 
other than being in the same world, uh-huh. it has little, if not anything, to do with oh, okay. the first characters gotcha. that were going on. Yeah. So what this one is, and I want to go, it's very creative. I know that some of the stuff was wonky in the game. This game, like when it launched, there was a little, some people didn't like some of the modeling. There's a little bit of wonkiness. There's mm-hmm. a little bit of, this is too much like the other ones, <laughs> which we talked about with our buddy Fringe of Fate, where it's like, did you like that one? Yeah. Well, so if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Quit complaining. I enjoyed Mass Effect Andromeda a lot. And a lot of it was because it was kind of trying to do something different. Mm-hmm. So basically, the races of the Milky Way galaxy which you learn about in the other Mass Effects ones, humans, Asari, Krogans, yep. all these Turians, all these different ones, they decide they're going to go send an expedition to populate what they found are golden worlds in the Andromeda galaxy. Nice. So they send basically a whole bunch of arcs, which are like these sleeper ships, yep. to travel gotcha. there. Um, because the way in Mass Effect, the way you travel faster than light is you have to have these relays that you go through. Yeah. They're almost wormholes, and there's no relays that go over to Andromeda. Gotcha. So they have to it's do it the sci-fi way of 600 years of travel through That's crazy. hyperfreeze. Yeah. So, and I don't want to get into huge spoilers, but basically, if you saw the trailer, it's in there, and the <laughs> game's older. But basically, when you get to... when. You get to the Andromeda galaxy when you get to the Helios cluster mm-hmm. that you're in. Nothing's as good as it seems. The human, you're in the human arc, and the planet that you're supposed to go on is like not habitable. Oh no, it's crazy. Yeah. So, and there's some evil, like weird space spider webs <laughs> that are like messing stuff up. Okay. And so you have to. Yeah. Just yeah. basically, you have to find the other arcs for the other races and find places to live and find habitable planets and figure out what's going on. Yeah, instead and of instead of a setup mission it now becomes an away mission right, sort of I got gotcha. you. Right. And there's an ancient there's like there's an ancient uh, aliens that used to be there that you find out about and then there's the aliens who are native to the Helios cluster. Oh, okay. Who have been invaded by some bad aliens who are from somewhere else. Holy crap. So there's all this stuff going on. Politics and injury. Yeah, there's all this stuff going on. It's so much fun to me. So you as the Pathfinder are given the Pathfinder ship, and on it, the doctor on it is an Asari, which is an alien. And the reason why she's with the humans is because she's trained in human anatomy. Oh, cool. Because Asari live a long time. She's like 250, Lexi's 250 years old. No, 275 years old. She's even older. So are those those tall, like, skinny ones that you see in Mass Effect? So the Asari are all female-looking. Yeah, yeah. And they're blue. Yes. Or blue to purple. Yep. And they have, like, little head tail things instead of hair. That's right. Okay. And they're the, the whole race of them is all, they appear feminine, mm-hmm. though they don't see their gender. And they, they're really neat because they have this thing where they can have babies with <laughs> with any species. Ooh. Even their own. Yeah. But th- they basically use this crazy melding process where, you know, we'll call it scientific goo. Yes. Well, no, mm-hmm. you have to like touch your skins together and oh, kind gotcha, of gotcha. thing and and they they have this melding process where they pull out DNA code from the from the one to the wow. other and they mix it together and they make a baby. Intense. And the baby always looks Asari. But because it, the Asari genes are dominant, kind of thing. Yeah, but right. it can, but it'll have traits of whatever. Fun. 
So I needed to tell you that because of Lexi's backstory. Yeah. So first of all, fun fact, Lexi is voiced by someone who you know well. Delayed on me. Natalie Dormer. Oh, yeah, Game of Thrones. Yeah, Marjorie Tyrell. There you go. She was the voice actress for Lexi. That's fun. So Dr. Lexi grew up on Omega, and if you played the other Mass Effects, this is how they kind of harken back to the other ones. Omega is like this space station that's just criminally run okay. and stuff. So she has a hard scrabble background. Her mother was a dancer there. <laughs> and if you go like if you go on Omega, there's a whole bunch of like Asari dancers and stuff. Because Asari, because they can mate with everyone, all the races think they're hot. Gotcha. Basically. Yep. So they're almost like Twi'leks from Star Wars for some reason. They must give off a pheromone <laughs> or something, I guess. Her mother was a dancer and Asari, of course, and her father was a Torian bouncer. Ooh. So <laughs> Hard scrabble. That's a fun uh, combo, though. She spent a lot of time patching up her dad. That's how she learned medicine, got interested in medicine stuff. Yeah. And uh, her parents both died in a gang war there. So oh, she's no. like orphan, but she went to medical school and she joined the Andromeda Initiative, which was like we're going off to Andromeda um, because her ex- she had a lot of training experience with humans. It's really funny because... She doesn't go on missions with you. She's always on the ship, yep. and you go to her, and she kind of gives counsel to your character, mm-hmm. uh, and then she's investigating what's going on with the aliens. You first discover the aliens that are good, that you think that are bad at first, but you find out they're good. I got you. And then also the cat, which are the evil alien, and she's doing autopsies and figuring out stuff. That's crazy. And everything like that. But it's really funny because you get these emails from her <laughs> and and it, the emails tell more about the character than talking to the character. Let's do it. Really. So Give me, give me one. So there's the, one of the first emails you get is she's trying to show that she's capable and qualified yep. to be the doctor on the ship. So you get this email and it says, attached is my Krogan thesis I mentioned to you. <laughs> I know it's only 500 pages, but we weren't allowed to go over. (laughs) Only 500 pages, nerd. If you get through it, I wrote a longer dissertation for the Citadel Journal of Medicine, which is around 1,400 pages. Holy crap. It's much more insightful and includes mating diagrams. There you go. So (laughs) Thorough and insightful. (laughs) That's hilarious to me. And you get an email where she talks about um, (laughs) high-impact cardio is you're getting too much high impact cardio and you need to stretch more. So she gives a whole bunch of yoga poses and these are real yoga poses <laughs> that you can do. And that also goes on to send you a, a balanced diet, there what you, you should be eating during the day. That's hilarious. It's like... That's a, that's a well-rounded doctor. If she can figure out alien anatomy, doing autopsies, and then also recommend a, a 21st century yoga routine as well as your fresh fruits and veggies. That's great. And this is a little bit spoilery, but she's critical in the main part of the game because what hap- what's happening in the game, and this is spoilery, so if you don't want to hear, is that the the native race in the Andromeda area are the Angara. Okay. And Jal is one of them who joins your crew, and you can go on missions with him. He can be a party member. Very cool. And so what ends up happening is you find out that the cat, which are the invading aliens, mm-hmm. they can't reproduce. And the way that they create more of them is to, they have like an uplifting, they call it an uplifting process. Oh, no. Where they take other races and basically turn them into them. Oh, no. 
all the while mixing their DNA and gaining their good qualities or the stronger qualities to make their race even stronger. That's crazy. So it's like a full conquest, not land, but also person and body. Right. So what's happening is that the jaw finds out this information mm-hmm. and it's through the dissections that Lexi does uh-huh. of the cat. She's figured, they figure this stuff out and stuff that you're doing too, but yeah, yeah. everything's coming to a head. Yep. So she basically has to talk him off a cliff because he's finding out that these aliens he's been fighting are actually his own people technically. Oh, that's true. Oh, that's crazy. Because the invasion force just came with enough to start the process. Start the process. Yep. And subsequent ones that he's been fighting are basically his family and so it's almost like a weird zombie thing yeah because they look like bad guys but underneath right. it it could be like friends or potential right. oh that that's an awesome twist that's right. great so you get a whole bunch of emails where she talks about having to talk to him and calm him down and so so she's this is a totally alien species to her yeah but she's smart enough to get the psychology of them yeah so not only is she dissecting physical specimen she's dissecting his brain in a way yep. to help him get through this trauma and all of it is stuff that she hasn't seen before so right. she just has to the only thing she has for reference is stuff that doesn't apply and and also too it's one of those um, beautiful things is this is one of those the mass effects they like to be able to have you can have romances and all this kind of stuff yep. so you can try with her and she's just like yeah i'm not really interested she's kind of like not <laughs> interested in in humans even though she treats them yep. it's almost like one of those things like I I got the this is this this is not written anywhere, but I got the underlying feeling that yeah. she's almost like a veterinarian, and she she loves humans like a vet loves dogs or cats <laughs> or whatever. If the you know, but much like you wouldn't date your date your house pets, you know, right? She's not gonna, <laughs> but like you're saying, she was also an orphan that ended up becoming full blown medical officer that solves the key to a humanitarian crisis. Right. So, I mean, it sounds like that's her passion and her life force. So yeah. That's and I wanted an alien yeah. in there. Yeah, spice it so up. So as much as I like Beverly Crusher, but I think they're equally as awesome, true, and equally as qualified, true. But I wanted a blue alien. But yeah, on the ship, <laughs> better than voiced by Natalie Dormer too. There you go, wonderful voice. <laughs> so that's our that's our crew. So. I have, and we did the thing too. Where see, this is why we said we can't knock out the entire series of properties. Oh yeah, get it. Yep. Because Be you need you need stuff from Star Trek because yep. you love it so much. I need stuff from the other Mass Effects. But it's it's also a nerd point in that these franchises also have enough variety that there's so many different aspects and stories and worlds that take place in such an umbrella of like Star Trek or Star Wars or Mass Effect or all mm-hmm. that stuff. So I dig it. Some excellent picks. Now, real quick before we go, let's do it. We got a letter, sort of <laughs> through, fan mail through Facebook. And hey, if you guys have any questions you want us to address, hit us up Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We'll give out the stuff at the end, but. Uh, Jason in St. Louis hit us up on the Facebook, and he asked, what about the ship from Farscape? The Leviathan from Farscape. He called it MOVA, M-O-V-A. MOVA. Technically breaks our rule because the pilot is a separate character, is attached to it. It's a symbioid relationship, a symbiotic relationship. Yep. And he wondered if it breaks our rules because you'd have to take the ship as the ship. Yes. And the pilot... Well, as the pilot, it's, he's literally called pilot True. in the show, in case you didn't know. <laughs> so, what do you think? 
Well, just going by how I ruled myself, I'll, I'll carry my own rules over to Jason and make, make them apply in that the Voyager comes with a doctor built in. That is a ship function, so it didn't fulfill totally the role of doctor. So I had to pick another doctor mm-hmm. from a different franchise to fill that role. So my example is a little bit different, but I ruled it in that because it's a part of a ship, it stays a part of the ship and doesn't really interact with... Uh, the other positions that we're filling here. But it sounds like the relationship in Farscape is a little bit different than that. Yeah, it seems like in the pilot, these pilots, these symbioids, they'll die if they leave the ship. True. So they're part of it. So in my mind, my ruling is is that the confusion might come from (laughs) that this is all like organic stuff. Yes. But in my mind, the pilot is like the computer that you talk to in Star Trek. Gotcha. Like when Picard goes computer, yes. blah, 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 blah. And then it talks back. True. And in, in my mind, the pilot is more like, that's how you talk to the, because that's how they talk to the ship. It's their interaction point. Yeah, it's their interaction point. So in my mind, taking that out is like ripping the computer out of the <laughs> Enterprise. The, the display port. Be like, we can't see what's happening. All right. we have is audio. So in my mind, I would I would say you would have to pick another pilot. Yes. But you could take that ship, and pilot would be there. Yes. But I, even though he, that might be the pilot, you're gonna have to pick a co-pilot, I For guess, sure. or something. That's well, how we would do it, I would think. We'll, we'll argue it this way: it's nerd safety. In case that pilot dies, because we know that it is such an important relationship, that if the pilot dies, you need somebody else there as a backup. This solves that problem. Yeah. Don't even have to worry about it. So, anyway, that's what I think. It's original equipment. <laughs> But that's a great argument because, I mean, those sh- I, I'm not a huge Farscape fan. I had to do a little bit of reading when we got this question, but those ships are like, they're alive. They're yeah. bio-organic. It's a mm-hmm. ship that gives birth to another ship. That's right. crazy. That's awesome. So I have to get into it. But uh, uh, an interesting thought experiment buried in the thought experiment we're having now. Yeah. So thank you for that, Jason. Yeah, thanks, Jason. So if you have questions, hit us up on the socials at AssumingPod, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, We want to thank some people. Jazzar for our music. That guy, Brad, for our announcing. Not Scott Productions for our equipment. And most of all, we want to thank you for listening. Stay hydrated and eat your vegetables. Doctor's orders. (laughs) I got an email from Lexi telling me that. Yep. We got to go do yoga. Jerk, Mr. Owl. <laughs> uh.